One of the hallmarks of the church is volunteerism. It's the fact that people offer their time, talent, and tithe to the church for the church to make its moves. It offers, they offer to God something that they have to offer to the world. There comes a point in life where we've got to pay attention to the time we are giving to things. Rightly so now in January, this first week of January, pretty sure you have thought about where you're going to spend your time, how you're going to spend your time, and who you're going to spend your time with. You felt like you need to spend a little time in the gym. Oh, no, the one, okay. <laughs> felt like you need to spend a little time away from the table. Felt like you need to spend a little time reading a book. Felt like you need to spend a little time educating yourself on new matters, particularly to the vision that God has given to you. I bet you have tried to figure out, like many humans, what to do with your time. Where am I going to spend my time? How am I going to spend my time? Who am I going to spend my time with? I promise you, though, you have figured out some people, places, and things you are not going to spend your time on. Amen. And sometimes we answer the question of what will I do by answering the question, what won't I do? Amen. The truth of life is, is that we have to figure out what we're going to do with our time. The availability of our lives sometimes open us because things happen to our lives. And sometimes we're just busy. We're busier than busy. We, let me give you a black measurement. We're busy, busy. We don't have time to do a lot of stuff. But then there comes this thing called obligation. Where we, regardless of how busy we are or aren't, there's stuff we have to do. And we always find time for the stuff we have to do. I'll be the first to tell you that when I get busy, my devotional life suffers. I'll admit it. I wake up a little later than I'm supposed to and I don't sit down on my, at my desk and, and read my devotional like I should. I, I, don't, I don't study it like I want to. Um, I'll be the first to admit some, that the, the good things that I need sometimes go on the back burner because I got things I got to do. I have places I got to be. There are things I've got to be a part of. And sometimes, even to my own detriment, I cut off the stuff that needs to be in my life because of the stuff that's got to be in my life. We've got to be careful. And particularly in 2023, here in this second Sunday, I want you to be mindful of your schedule. Be mindful of your time. Be intentional about what you do and reflect on what you do. Don't just let the day happen to you, but you happen to the day. 
Don't just let the moment happen to you, but you happen to the moment. Wake up every day knowing at least three or five things you're going to accomplish in the day. Don't just let the day go by without accomplishing anything. Let me tell you, I'm going to teach a little bit, then I'm going to holler in the later. One of the things that, 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 that we got to understand is that sometimes we get into this, this dull place in our life where we feel like we're in a crisis, a midlife or beginning life or in life crisis where we feel unaccomplished. We feel like we're not making any headway. We're not making any progress. We're not doing the things that we should do. We don't feel like we're in the purpose place that we need to be. And the truth of life is, is that sometimes we are not able to feel purpose because we have not checked our time. Let me say it this way. You have just let days go by where you just don't know what you did. You've got, you've got days and weeks clocked in and calendared where you don't know what you did. You don't know what you saw. You don't know what you said. You don't know how you responded. You don't know how you act. You just got days in the wake that you just lived and existed. Isaiah is kind of in the same place. He's, he's not in the best of places. And he has a desire to go and get better. Even when you, when you pay attention to Isaiah and when he starts out his book, when he starts out writing, he begins in the very first chapter, in the very first words, it says, the vision of Isaiah. It's the idea of the reality that's not the reality. Isaiah even starts his book in a place he's not yet. He starts in vision. Vision always denotes the idea of being more. Vision always denotes the idea of seeing more, doing more, achieving more. We call them dreams, call them hopes, goals. Isaiah starts this entire treatise that he writes as a vision. He begins this by saying, this is what I saw, but that I didn't experience. But because of what I saw, I had an experience. You do know that the mind metaphysically, can't tell the difference between fantasy and reality. If you, if you believe something in your mind, you can make it manifest in your life. Have y'all ever heard of a phantom pregnancy? Where women believe that they're pregnant so much so that their stomach becomes distended? No babies in there, but in their mind, there's a baby in there. Because the mind has a way of allowing you to experience vision before you experience vision. And maybe you don't need an escape for reality through those other substances that you have. You need an escape from reality through your mind in your vision. Isaiah is having a vision. Chapter six says, and I saw the Lord high and lifted up in the year King Uzziah's of King Uzziah's death. 
real truth on the ground, the king is dead. Uzziah died, had served 52 years, is now 739 BC, and he's now dead. But in the midst of the reality, I still saw a vision. I need you to catch this. In the midst of my pain, I still saw hope. In the midst of my struggle, I still saw tomorrow. I wanted to die today, but I kept seeing tomorrow. I wanted to give up today, but I kept seeing the future. In the year King Uzziah died. And I don't know what kind of year you had or the year you've already had, but you still can have vision. (laughs) The vision that Isaiah has is a vision to do something different. Do something more. Help somebody, including himself. Isaiah sees a vision. While he's there watching this vision, he sees the Lord high and lifted up. The Bible says that he, that his train or The hem of his robe filled the temple. Look at the image. What you see is God is so high that the only thing close to Isaiah is God's feet. He said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his hem or his the train filled the temple, which meant he's in the temple with feet. Some of us are ungrateful for the feet of God. Bible says he saw the Lord high and lifted up in this train or the the hem of his garment filled the temple. And and above him was seraphim, these winged angelic beings with six wings. Two cover the face, two cover the body and two cover the feet. Two cover the feet, two cover the face and two to fly. He saw this. Vision. Isaiah is standing there. And then the seraphims begin to sing. Holy, holy, holy. They begin to talk. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. In the midst of all of that, seeing the vision, he started talking. And here's where It gets good for us today, for our thesis, for our thought today. Here I am. Because what happens to Isaiah is, is Isaiah has a willing heart, but he feels unworthy. I figured it out, Brother Harvey. There's three reasons why people don't serve the church or don't serve the Lord in any capacity. Number one, they're unmotivated. They, 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 they don't care. There is no concern. There is no thrust. There is no idea of conscience getting on them. They're just unmotivated. Or, number two, they're unwilling. They're up and moving, but they're not up and willing to be up and moving for the church. They're up and moving and they're going. And they have resources and they can do things, but they're not willing to do that in the church. Not only are they unwilling, but lastly, they are unworthy. They feel that they're too much of a sinner. My history is too bad for me to serve this church. 
I don't, I, listen, this is, what, this, is, this is what we feel sometimes. We feel like I'm too bad to serve God. I don't want nobody to talk about the church since I'm serving it. And, 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 and again, this is, a, this is a space that we all fall into. We feel unworthy. Let me show you a person who felt the same thing. Right here in verse 5. He says, woe is me. For I am ruined, a man of unclean lips. And as a matter of fact, I done kept company with some unclean folk. He said, not only have I been bad, but I've been around some bad people. Not only have I done wrong, but I've been around some folk that have done wrong. But here's what he says. He says, I need God. He doesn't say it in so many words, but the fact that the, when he responds to what he sees, he's saying, whoa, I shouldn't be here. Whoa, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have this. Whoa, I shouldn't, be, I shouldn't be in this space. But this is what he's saying. I need help. And sometimes your help is simply identifying your problem. Okay. Look at the vision. This is a lot of imagery. I need y'all to see this. The Bible says, and then the seraphim went to the altar and took a coal off and put it on his lips. The question is, Minister D, we're going to exegete this real well. Who started the fire? Who the one that put something on the altar to burn? Isaiah shows up to a vision in the presence of God at least at his feet, he did something. He offered a sacrifice. It's very clear that the, the offering being offered there is not by the heavenly beings that are there because they don't need to make sacrifices to a God in a place where they are. But Isaiah needs to make an offering. Isaiah needs to make a sacrifice. And because he understands he's a man of unclean lips, he's got to make a sacrifice. He's got to give an offering. So the sacrifice, I'm going to teach this right here. I hope you don't run out of here. So the sacrifice that Isaiah made was the same thing that helped him get better. Because what the seraphim did was took the stuff he put on the altar and touched him with it. And here's what I need you to catch. If you will learn the sacrifice, the Lord can fix it. The same thing you are sacrificing is the same thing God can use to fix your brokenness, to fix your waywardness, to fix your depression. If you will learn to sacrifice it. Isaiah is in the presence of God. And when he sees the presence of God, I suggest and the Bible suggests right here that somebody's got to offer an offering. Whenever you come to God, bring God something. I ain't talking about money because ain't no money is in this text. This ain't all. It, listen, the only, you, don't have, you don't just have money to offer the church. You got something else to give a church. You don't have just money to give to God. You got something else other than money to give to God. And don't be so myopic or short-sighted that you think the only thing the church needs is your money. It needs a sacrifice. Isaiah sacrifices in the presence of God. Seraphim comes down, grabs a tongue, grabs a tongue, 
because the seraphim ain't, ain't going to touch the sacrifice because that's Isaiah's sacrifice. Because it ain't for the seraphim to touch it because the seraphim don't need to touch it because the seraphim's already in a holy place. Which, which lets us understand and know that everybody can't touch the sacrifice. I, I, I'm finna hurt some feeling right along through here. I can feel it in my foot. Maybe, just maybe, the wrong person is touching your sacrifice. Okay. Okay. Now I went to him. Let me go. The Bible says that the seraphim grabbed it with the tongue and then touched Isaiah's lips. Here's what he said. He said, your guilt is gone and your sin is forgiven. Oh, my God. This is where Isaiah gets his release. Isaiah had a, had a vision and saw the Lord high and lifted up, saw the seraphim there. And, and, and he offers a sacrifice unto the Lord. And the same sacrifice is the same thing that sanctified him to do the work that he's needing to do. And then when he got his lips touched, the seraphim said, your guilt is gone. Because a lot of us are in a place in our life where we show up to do ministry, but we do it guilty. And whether you believe it or not, that guilt is sometimes a guard for you giving God glory in your service. The text suggests to us that the sacrifice we offer is what's going to be used to sanctify us. And once we become sanctified and set free, our sins are forgiven. The sacrifice is what sets us free. If, here's the key, here's the key. If you're trying to get away from some type of guilt or sin, you got to make a sacrifice in that area. I I hope you're hearing me. Because what's going to happen is, if you're not paying attention to your day, you're going to show up in the day and do the same thing you did yesterday that made you feel bad. He says... A man of unclean lips. I've seen God. Seraphim flew down, touched him with a coal, touched his lips, says your sins are forgiven. We know it's God because of that word right there. We know that it's God because of what verse 7 said. Your sins are forgiven. Bible tells us that no one can forgive sins but God. Which meant that sacrifice turned into a God thing. God will honor your sacrifice. Let me zoom out a little bit so I can give you an understanding of what Isaiah is. Isaiah is a prophet preacher. So the reason why Isaiah got touched on the lips is because he says, I'm a man of unclean lips because, watch this, he perceived his calling. He perceived what he was supposed to do with his life understood where God was taking him. He understood his yearnings, his desires, his hopes, his aspirations, and his dreams. And he realized that he couldn't do it, or he, he made a realization that he couldn't do it because he was a sinful man. 
And what the seraphim did was touched him on the mouth to release him into his calling and his gift. And too many times we live a life bound because we haven't made a sacrifice that will open up our gift. The gift that you need to make it to the next level, to the next place, to the next space, to the next idea is in the sacrifice. And God's going to touch you in the area he's going to get the glory out of. Your sins have been forgiven. Your guilt is gone. Now, verse 8, I've been preaching this whole time just to get right here. Because I ain't have but one point this whole sermon. Verse 8. He said, I heard the voice of the Lord say, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Watch this. You got to learn how to eavesdrop on what God is saying. You can tell God is not talking to Isaiah. Uh Check out the proximity, though. He was closer. He was at the beginning of the story. He's at God's feet. But now it seems he's near God's mouth because he heard the voice of God. And the longer you stay in God's presence, the more likely you'll move from his feet to his mouth. We don't stay, we don't stay at his feet long enough. We stand his feet long enough to say something to him, but not for him to say nothing back. If I hit you, I didn't mean to miss you. You just got in my way today. And what, what, what Isaiah is doing is perceiving in the spirit a need from God. If you come, listen, let me just give you some practical examples. If you walk up church, pull up on this side or that side, and you see a piece of trash in the parking lot, who got to tell you to pick it up? Okay, okay, okay. All right, all right. If you come into the room, it, it, Harvey does a good job to keep everything clean. But if you see something out of place, who got to tell you to fix it? Wish I could quit, but I can't. Okay. Here, here, here is what I here. Here's what, I ain't gonna look at nobody when I say this. It, it, it is kind of clear how much time you spend with God by your lack of response to the needs of God. Okay. Nothing should go undone in your presence when you know God needs it done. Who is God talking to? God says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Seraphim is there. But scholars suggest it's the Trinity. The same group that was in Genesis chapter 1, when it said, when, when God said, let us make man out of our image, that same group is in the meeting again. And Isaiah showed up to the meeting. 
And he happened to be overhearing what they said and they heard. So I said, let me tell you what's going on, Sister Carla. Isaiah is outside the door with a glass up against the window. And he heard in the room, we need some help. Isaiah busts in the room and said, here I am. And the truth of life is nobody should have to poke us and prod us and beg us and pay us or give us anything to serve the Lord. He says, here I am. Send me. Hear me. When you are in the presence of God, you learn what God needs from your presence. Hear me. It ain't about what you can get from God. God, can God get anything from you? I, I, I know you're busy. Listen, I am, I'm, I'm just as busy as you. We are all busy, but can God get something from us? Can he just get you to say, here I am? 